Hello and welcome to the Delivery Manager Daily, a podcast by a delivery manager talking about delivering agile projects with the best practice tips and tricks, examples and guides to help you as a delivery manager learn from my mistakes. This is season three of the Delivery Manager Daily with focus on sustainability and digital excellence. Get in touch via X, subscribe to the newsletter, read the blog, mariosblog.co.uk and get involved in the conversation. Thanks for listening. Did you know that digital sustainability is really important to me and it should be to you too. Working in delivery teams, sustainability is at the heart of what Agile is in 2023 and I talk about it on my podcast, Carbon Agile. Go over to Carbon Agile in wherever you get your podcast from and check me out on medium.com too. Search for digital sustainability and Carbon Agile and you'll be able to find out the latest in what I'm doing in sustainability. Hello everyone and welcome to the Delivery Manager Daily. This is about, I don't know, episode 44, season two. I don't know, but I tend to fail abysmally uh, uh, getting out more frequent episodes at the minute, but I do try and make sure that when I've got something that I feel is valuable or something that I've learned or something that I want to share in the delivery community, uh, I do a podcast and that's what this is today. And it's a bit of a two in one. We're actually going to talk about two different things. In the first part of this podcast, um, I want to talk about what you need to do to get into delivery management, which is off the back of a question someone's asked me recently. And if you're listening, uh, you'll know who you are. And then the second part of this podcast is about as a scrum master, the world has changed to the point where your scrum team are going to be coming to you with slightly different problems now. And in this particular case, I'm talking about code generation tools like Code Whisperer, Google Duet and Copilot. So we'll talk about that later. But to start with, let's talk about in 2023 what you need to be a delivery manager and get into delivery. I answer this question quite a lot and I've noticed that as I answer and talk to colleagues or peers or people get in touch with me on the internet and say, hey, um, I want to get into delivery. I want to do things similar to what you do. And uh, where do I go? Where do I start? I'm a project manager, but, you know, I want to get into sort of digital delivery. And I find myself giving the same advice. And I think I reflected and thought, as far as I'm concerned, that advice still is pertinent and remains today. So I thought I'd... um, describe what I've recently said to someone of the things that I think you should do if you're aspiring to get into delivery in 2023. Now, I can't accommodate your background, your technical nous, your um, competency in terms of picking things up. All I can tell you is that as an employer of delivery managers and as someone who has crafted and honed what I do, these are the things that I recommend that you do. And also, I think I've spoken about this before. I think if you go on Mario's blog, Uh, what makes a good delivery manager and I think there's a previous episode as well I'll I'll link to uh, in the notes Um, I talk about some of this stuff and I guess I just wanted to repeat it really because I know a lot of people that want to get into digital and software project management and of course it's a pretty good industry to get into with the way the world is so to start with um, we'll talk about certification and There is, as far as I'm concerned, a finite limit to the certifications you should get when you don't have a lot of experience. I think you need to understand the fundamentals of Scrum academically from what the prescribed Scrum guide tells you what Scrum is. So go and do the um, professional certified Scrum certification, uh, PSM 1 and 2, if you have the time. But don't go beyond that. I think there are too many third-party 
course companies and organizations that will offer you dedicated agile training with a certification at the end of it but arguably once you've done psm one and potentially two you want to get some experience so psm one and two go onto scrum.org and search for those certifications get them done they're relatively low cost once you understand the fundamental tenets and principles of scrum you're probably good now i will caveat that by saying once you've kind of understood the fundamentals of Scrum, maybe learn a scaling technique as well. But don't go and jump into something complicated like SAFE. Learn how to scale what you've just learned, Scrum. So what is that? Well, it's Nexus. And I've talked about Nexus before on a previous episode, but go on Scrum.org as well and search for the Nexus certification. And that will walk you through um, taking what you've learned with Scrum and adding to it to allow you to scale it beyond just a half dozen teams or so and that is a real good academic foundation for agile everything else you're going to learn through experience or judicial kind of reading of books but don't get lost straight away in certification you can pick up additional certification when you've built up some experience too so first thing certification psm1 possibly two and nexus from scrum.org the next thing is sticking with certification but not doing the certification that you might think so to do agile and be an agile delivery manager type person you really do well to understand the types of projects that you are going to apply agile concepts and techniques to the types of teams that you're going to manage and the types of projects that they're going to be executing what are they going to be they're going to be things like digital transformation projects they're going to be greenfield software application builds they're going to be big data projects they're going to be data consolidation and data science projects they may be cloud transformation or cloud workload and cloud compute style cost consolidation type projects if we look at what clients are asking for in the market and the types of projects that the teams you will potentially manage as a scrum master the types of projects that they're going to be doing it will not hurt you to understand more about that type of thing so dependent on how uh, technology focused you are and how hands-on you are you may want to think about picking up some foundational cloud certification across all the major vendors so microsoft azure az900 or an equivalent to get your kind of teeth into uh, microsoft cloud technology and do the equivalent for aws and google cloud platform and that will be a really good use of time and i think going into any job saying you've got a scrum certification you understand how to scale it with Nexus and you also have a fundamental understanding of cloud technology and cloud transformation, I think will do you really well regardless of if you've got any practical hands-on experience and then you can kind of go in at a junior level and hopefully build that up with a good consultancy firm. So certification, PSM1, maybe two, Nexus, learn how to scale Scrum, learn the fundamentals of Scrum and then pair that with a technology type certification or multiples of. Then you want to do some reading. And this is a personal recommendation from me to you. There's obviously many books. If you go onto Amazon or just Google Agile books, there are going to be dozens, if not hundreds, if not thousands of them. But I can tell you the ones that I've read and why they've been valuable to me. And I thoroughly recommend that you pick them up. They're all very cheap, more or less. So there's four that I would recommend. There is The Toyota Way 
That's by Jeffrey K. Liker. And it talks about lean. It talks about lean manufacturing. And it talks about um, going from manufacturing into what we know about lean today. And it's a really interesting nod to the history of lean and where some of the agile fundamental principles that you'll learn and scrum principles that you'll learn came from. And I've talked about lean and I'm a big advocate of lean itself. And that book in particular is an absolute go-to to just fill in the blanks on some of the history of lean and agility within not only manufacturing, but then it will make scrum make just that little bit more sense when you come to apply it in a modern setting. So uh, The Toyota Way by Jeffrey Liker is my first recommendation. The next book I'd really consider, um, or I would ask you to consider, is called Agile Essentials You Always Wanted to Know. And it's by Vibrant Publishing. Uh, I think the author's Kalpesh Ashar. And it's quite a lightweight but interesting matter-of-fact kind of book that covers the manifesto, the principles, the values. It talks about some of the scrum pillars and roles um, of a scrum self-organized team, agile planning and how to execute agile techniques, and broad agile project management. It's a really good book. I think the last time I looked, it was about £27. It's definitely worth a read. Again, once you've done some formal certification, a book like this will help you fill in the blanks. So that is Agile Essentials You Always Wanted to Know by um, Kalpesh Ashar, I think. Have a quick look now. The next one's a bit left field, but it's thoroughly enjoyable. And you may want to skip this, um, but hear me out. It's called Surrounded by Idiots by Thomas Erickson. It's about £10 in the paperback version, or you can get it for Kindle, possibly even an audiobook, I don't know. Um, and it's about how to understand the people around you and when you feel like you're the only one talking sense. And it talks through kind of this notion of what do you do when you feel like you're the only one talking any sense and people aren't listening to you or you're not getting your point across or you don't think people understand you and actually it's a really good book to understand some of the skills and techniques you'll need as a scrum master because you'll often find yourself in a situation where you have to barter and negotiate with 10 other people around you to get stuff done and it's just a really good book and I don't really want to spoil it but go and get Surrounded by Idiots by Thomas Erickson the cover has four people on the front all different primary colours um you get it from Amazon. It's a really good foray into people skills. The things that you'll absolutely need as a scrum master getting into delivery. And then finally, uh, by the very well-known Jeff Sutherland, uh, Scrum, the art of doing twice the work in half the time. And again, you can get it in paperback for about £10 from Amazon. Really good book. Talks about Scrum from its infancy to its revolutionary approach in speeding up delivery and how it works. It uses uh, comparisons and examples and from kind of the US military and in hospitals too. Um, and it's a really good way of taking what you've learned uh, about Scrum and visualizing it in your head in practical real life. So I find that a really good book. And those four that I've just referenced will be a great start to a library of learning coupled with those practical certifications that you've hopefully done too. And you're really starting to build now a nice solid foundation for getting your first junior scrum role. Then a simple one, um, just being absolutely fluent with some of the tools of the trade that you'll absolutely use no matter what organisation you go and work for. You absolutely must know the Atlassian suite of products. So that is, of course, Jira, both its 
older version that's often on-premise and it's cloud um, sort of iteration two and confluence and you must know how to make them work side by side at quite an advanced level you know pushing confluence well beyond its capability of looking pretty uh, because as an information repository it can be quite useful if you use it right and Jira as a task management and backlog tool well it's a full software delivery lifecycle tool but um, making sure you know how to get the very best from those two products in particular is going to do you really well. There are free and freemium based versions of both of those that you can just spin up at home and use. And as you suggest, you start using them for every element of your life, whether you've got a wedding to plan, a birthday to plan, a holiday, anything. Use Jira and Confluence until you're absolutely fluent with them. Then uh, learn Jira's equivalent as your DevOps. Slightly more complex in terms of visual interface, but absolutely you don't want to get into a project where everyone's using Azure DevOps and you've never seen it before. So get really familiar with that too. There's a lot of carryover concepts and skills and techniques if you learn Jira first, which is the slightly easier of the two products um, because uh, of all kinds of reasons, you know, Microsoft products and Microsoft products, but then learn Azure DevOps. It's going to really do you well. And then um, the, the periphery tools that do similar things that are simplified. So tools like Monday.com or Trello are particularly good um, as, as a kind of simple Kanban style tools. And then the final tool I'd recommend, because there are obviously hundreds and thousands and I'm not going to talk through all those, learn a visual collaboration tool like Microsoft Whiteboard or in particular uh, Miro that has all the baked in collaboration tools you could want and need. And if you learn that tool, the rest of them follow suit very similar. I think Miro is kind of leading the way when it comes to visual collaboration, in my opinion. So learn Miro also. And then finally, go to some Agile meetups. There are plenty, no matter where you are in the world and dependent on where you are in the world, some areas are absolute hotspots for um, Agile events. So go to meetups, go to these events, network with people. Often there are companies there that sponsor the events and they will be, um, they will be looking out for juniors, looking out for people that, you know, want to get experience and they'll be looking out for people that maybe want to come and do an internship or something. It's also a great way of meeting people at all different levels of experience and getting you into kind of the world and you can see what people are talking about with the talks and you can pick from those and drill deeper into them and meet people and say, hey, you were talking about kind of uh, estimation. Tell me a little bit more about that. They're really good ways of getting to grips with the industry so I thoroughly recommend doing that and then off the back of that my final piece of advice would be to write about this in some way write about your learning and potentially share it with others I learn personally by writing things down and reliving it so that's why I do a lot of blogging and podcasting not so much for the vanity through the genuine desire and wanting to help others by sharing but also to kind of journal and charter my experience and my journey so I can look back and know where I've made course corrections or what I've learned or what I did then you should do that too it's a great way also if you need to pick up some tech skills build a website spin up some virtual cloud compute when you're doing these foundational cloud courses you'll need to invariably spin up some virtual uh, compute uh, resource in the cloud anyway so you might as well put that to good use build a website stand up a blog um, and put together your thoughts in a way that others can learn from too.
So that's the first part of the podcast. I thought that might be quite useful to just recap all the things I think you should do if you want to be a delivery manager to summarise. Get some certification, but don't get too much. Build upon your technical knowledge and understanding as well to make sure that you don't forget about that. I think long gone are the days you can just be, in quotes, a scrum master and not be technically hands-on really. I don't think you can be as effective as if you do know technology. Uh, Read those books that I recommended. Don't fall for the trap of just reading everything and anything pick some books in particular buy some good authors like jeff sutherland and then go to meetups meet people meet the companies that are hiring uh, get involved in the industry maybe talk as a beginner and what you've learned so far write about it blog about it and before you know it you'll be getting involved in those late night friday meetings and everyone blaming you for when things go wrong you're welcome You may not know, but outside of my corporate work as a delivery manager, I run a small tech company called Creative Pixel. It's here I build websites and applications, integration services, and AI solutions for small and medium-sized companies. I also help coach and advise on digital marketing and social media for individuals and build individual websites also. So maybe if you're wanting to start a technology-focused side hustle in 2023, get in touch. Right, and so the second part of this podcast is to talk about co-generation tools and something that is a perceived shift in what a Scrum Master might have to deal with over the next 6 to 12 months in terms of problems, in terms of common hurdles and barriers that your Scrum team might face and something that is absolutely prevalent with cutting-edge teams at the minute is using these co-generation tools um, like co Pilot, Code Whisperer, Duet, all brand new. So, well, some are brand new. I was talking about Copilot back in a uh, Leeds Digital Festival about DevOps about two and a half years ago. But having seen and used the products loosely as a non-software engineering engineer, uh, they've come on in leaps and bounds. And as a delivery manager and someone that leads projects, one of the interesting conversations that I'm having is... What do you do from an implementation perspective? How do you take one of these tools and implement them into the CI and CD workflow of an engineering team? What are some of the security concerns about getting them to train internally on your existing code base and repositories and whether that is a problem and the types of projects that your team are doing? Are these public-facing projects? Um, What about where we've historically encoded uh security access tokens passwords authentication token strings in the code and then ai can pick them apart and pull them out all of this is something that often a high performing technical scrum master is going to have to think about and negotiate and coordinate with their engineering teams if you're going to use these code generation tools so i just wanted to talk about that briefly but also actually and selfishly to get a bit of um commentary going from people on twitter or those listening to the podcast what are you doing and what are you seeing with your teams at the minute in terms of these tools um in particular around some of the things that i've just mentioned so i'm putting together a plan i'm putting together a plan of what you do when you trial one of these tools and then you potentially roll them out and i've i've leveraged in particular copilot before and and had experience of deploying this and using it in the wild with teams 
But there are some things as a leader, as a tech leader, that I now find myself thinking about more and more. And I thought what I'd do is talk about what I'm doing and in, in a, a, an aim of, of kind of weaponizing it into a repeatable template that I'll invariably use the next time I run into this situation. But I'm also keen uh, to see what uh, you might be doing too as delivery managers that may be you are now in a position where your engineering team are coming to you saying, hey, look, we want to use Copilot or, hey, we want to use Code Whisperer. Um, or actually, um, it may be from above that these tools want to be implemented and your engineering teams are saying, well, hey, look, I don't want to be out of a job. So I'm not going to use this tool and I'm not going to support it and I'm going to find reasons to kind of piss all over it. So uh, I think these are all good conversations to have. So one of the first things that I considered was some kind of charter or manifesto for the engineering team in question. And that's what I'd done before. And thinking about it, you know, putting that together in confluence and thinking, oh, I should really make a note of this because this is going to this is going to crop up again. And lo and behold, it has. The difficulty I find with writing charters for dedicated engineering teams is often the need for some kind of AI charter bleeds into the overall business-wide conversation of AI in the workplace. And that's not really something that I want to get into. There's an argument to say that, well, you know, a manifesto for an engineering team using AI, that should be more broader. And then, of course, things slow down to a crawl when the work that you're trying to do just gets lost in the, in the sand pit of AI in an organization. So I try and sidestep that. What I try and do and what I'm thinking about is creating a lightweight chart just for a dedicated engineering team or set of engineering teams that I run in Scrum configuration to think about how a particular code gen AI tool is used. So thinking about things like the objectives of why the tool is used, whether it's for time efficiency, time optimization and lean, repeatable things that are done often um, and making a statement and a commitment to that's why the tool's used. Making sure that there's transparency baked into the charter too so we know that where we've got functions and procedures written by AI, there's an adequate enough uh, non-synthetic kind of test framework to make sure that that recommended solution is fit for purpose and works and is tested appropriately. And again, I think the way that that's done should form part of a charter amongst other things. Um, I guess also making sure that in particular, and I don't know the answer to this yet, data management in terms of whether you train this tool on your own internal data and code repos so it gets a flavor of kind of how your team or your organization or department engineers right the difficulty with that is you might have to as a precursor do some kind of global audit of where you've got hard-coded secrets and uh, token authentication and passwords baked into the code and we've all got it you might think, oh, no, 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 we're really good. Guaranteed you've got some code somewhere in the wild that's got usernames and passwords baked into the code. And your AI tool is invariably going to find it and cause some kind of data breach. So think about how you bake that into a rollout plan. That in particular, I think, is going to be my number one headache. Um, compliancy as well, I think, is probably important to make sure that it's in line and of quality of what you write. I've talked in other podcasts that I think generally software engineering is a race to the bottom. And I think with everyone getting involved and again, these co-gen tools don't often help this problem, but high quality engineered solutions are becoming quite rare. And for me, my opinion of what I've just said there is based on my experience and 
anything in the world from ATMs to banking platforms to my experience recently with British Airways. Nothing is knitted together. Nothing is seamless. Everything is broken. There isn't a system that I think that I've experienced, touched, consumed, needed over the last five years that's been anywhere near fit for purpose. In fact, it's easier to celebrate those that do actually work and invariably they only work for so long. So I think quality and compliance to quality is going to be really important. And again, I don't know what the answer to that yet is, but I think some kind of AI charter and manifesto uh, needs to be uh, drafted and that's what I'm doing at the minute. Um, the actual use of the tools themselves, I guess, best practice. So if you've implemented a tool and you've got some kind of agreed charter uh, that's in line with company goals and strategy, but also making sure you're not hampering the engineering teams using the tool and they're actually getting to use it in the manner and the way to with which they want to help save them time, which is one of the best things as a scrum master you can do to save people time. I've said this before, if you can do that and nothing more, you're onto a winner in terms of winning hearts and minds. Um, but these folk are going to need support. And no matter how technical people are, using a new software product can be tricky. So you're going to need to provide some kind of like hyper care support and best practice. So it may be documenting things like the limitations of the code gen tool, what it will and won't do and what to expect from it and how to prompt it. I'm starting to think that you're going to need some kind of prompt specialist within your scrum team as you might have a data scientist or a BA or a full stack engineer. This is a skill I can quickly see needing someone that knows how to use these tools in the wild with a particular code set to get the best out of the tool and that certainly isn't me but making sure that the team has someone like that I think is going to be really important from a support perspective and support in terms of integration into the IDE too you know whatever your team is using whether it's uh, sort of JetBrains or Visual Studio or IntelliJ or whatever I'm, I'm not an out and out hardcore engineer so I'm sure there are many um, but integration into your development environment and using it the right way that's going to need documenting and it's going to need authoring. And there isn't a huge amount of documentation out there. It's all a bit hacky and just play with it and see how it goes. Um, some hook into the entire workspace like Google Duet and integrate into everything. Some are just dedicated for code like Code Whisperer. Uh, and these are the ones that I know about and I've seen, right? So some kind of hyper care structure and support for the team so they know where to go for support, configuration and setup will stop will stop the lack of adoption I guess going forward you go to all this effort to create a manifesto a charter a plan you know you you audit some tools you do a proof of concept you speak with the vendors you obtain procurement and funding and all the licenses and then no one's using it because it's just too difficult to use and set up so I think this is a really important part of using CodeGen tools so we talked about documentation. I guess there's monitoring as well as improvement Dora metrics now here's a here's something that I've started to think about. So if you don't know what Dora metrics are, these are um, these are metrics that are very empirical based on things like the amount of time, how many how many merge requests do you do or how many successful code check-ins do you do or how many times your code successfully compiles that kind of stuff um, i'm bastardizing that slightly there's there's like four or five fairly standard dora metrics that i won't parrot or find the page to recite because if you just google dora metrics it'll tell you what they are but i guess once you've implemented this code gentle from a business perspective one of the reasons you'll have done it is from a 
optimization of time, right? You don't want your engineering team writing the same routines and doing the same things again and again on every project where they could spin up um, pre-written, well-known code that might configure a bunch of, I don't know, a bunch of Terraform templates and spit out some uh, APIs and, and a starter that maybe your organization uses for every project. It might save a day of time, but, but compounded over a year, you know, that's a lot of money saved too. But you want to practically see, right? You want to see error rates come down on code submissions. You want to see uh, more successful code compiling. Um, and you want to see those numbers go up, I guess. So Dora metrics are really important. But the question you've got to ask yourself is, is your organization and engineering team currently set up for that? Have you got a completely smooth CI, CD pipeline that all uses the same kind of tooling and you're not kind of branching off into different types of tools and hacky kind of processes that you've put together over the years that make implementing Dora metrics pretty difficult? I don't know... Um, how to successfully put in some KPIs that aren't Dora style metrics um, without, uh, well, well I, don't, I don't know how to do it. And and I think one of the problems is, certainly the example I'm thinking of and the teams that I'm working with, we can't use Dora metrics in particular because of all kinds of technical reasons to do with the way CI and CD is done. So I think that's a challenge that if you're um, a delivery manager, a technically hands-on delivery manager, that you might have to think about too. And then of course, how do you test specifically the code being written that's been written by an AI code gen tool? How much of it, how do you identify how much of it has been written by a code gen AI tool? And how do you test that code? And do you test it any differently than you would with regular human being written code? I don't know, maybe you need to do thorough security audits, maybe. Maybe you need to check the code to see if it's copying anything else from a competitor, for example. I just don't quite know yet, but I know that this is something I'm probably going to have to think about and then building test cases around it or helping test teams consider how to build test cases around it. Um, so, yeah, just some of the things I'm thinking about at the minute. Um, and it may be um, that you have, and you're fortunate enough to have people around you that can do this for you or at least help you um, help you put it all together. But at the minute, I find myself kind of on the cutting edge, if that's not, I think that's the right term, of thinking about this stuff, what I've done with Copilot in particular for Teams, and then expanding this out to a range of tools and then thinking about how to put a plan together to kind of implement it. So I think in summary, and I'd be really interested to hear what you're doing in this space, if you're a delivery manager in particular. I don't want to hear from you if you're an expert necessarily in AI code gentles and you use it every day and this is like your jam. I'm talking about if you're a technical scrum master or delivery manager and you're trying to kind of put guardrails in place for your team. But I'm thinking about kind of making sure that um, some of these things that we've talked about are uh, sort of crossed and dotted to make sure that I've thought about them. Things like intellectual property and proprietary code, you know, to make sure that you're not accidentally plagiarizing other public solutions. And I'm really not sure what the answer to a lot of this is. Um, but I know that the plan uh, is going to be quite thorough. And I'm starting to think that, you know, the things that we've talked about today, kind of that assessment and planning getting it purchased, setting it up, training and documentation, getting it launched, monitoring it, measuring it, 
implementing it and reviewing progress and then kind of providing a hypercare support maintenance agreement, not only with the vendor, but with your teams to make sure that this isn't a tool that is just mothballed over time and, and people, you know... I think it's an interesting time for organizations wanting to leverage these tools. I think the dichotomy is I can hear already engineers saying, well, look, you know, this is just a way for the company to, um, I guess, devalue software engineering. It was the often the last bastion of, you know, good money right across the world. If you're a software engineer, you could command a big salary if you're a good software engineer you were literally the messiah i guess the fear is that an ai code gen tool is a bit like what power apps did for ceos right they started to put together all this kind of shadow it and oh, i'll just build a booking solution using a click and drag interface like power apps and this is the same thing i wonder if we've got um, c-level exec now thinking well we don't need a team of highly skilled software engineers that are often grumpy and want more money or more time off we'll just use ai to kind of create this software for us i've seen the performance of some of these tools um and it's phenomenal but i also know what a good software engineer looks like and i'm still not convinced they can be replaced so it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next six months i'll keep you up to date with this project but i'd be interested to hear from you if you're in similar projects and you have an opinion on ai code gentle so do get in touch via twitter at mario dc thanks for listening to this reasonably short podcast the delivery manager daily i hope to get another one out very soon when i have something to talk about but i'm now going to crawl off back under my rock finish with my covid infection that you can probably tell i've got in my voice and i'll see you very very soon